Hey everyone, welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. This is your host, Rachel Mansfield, and I'm going to kick it off with the obvious, you guys. T-minus one week until Just the Good Stuff, my very first cookbook, is officially out in the universe. It has been available for pre-order for the last few months, and starting in one week, February 25th, it is going to be available anywhere that books are sold, and I cannot wait. I don't even know what it's going to feel like. I'm going to have to like ask some of my friends who have experienced this when you walk into like Barnes and Noble and my book's going to be in Target and pick up your book and see it in the flesh, like in a store. It's going to be like the most surreal and amazing feeling. I cannot wait. Um, and also February 25th kicks off the cookbook tour starting in New York. And from there, I'll be going to LA to Austin, Palm Beach, Nashville, and Chicago. So we're doing cities total and based off of the events and, you know, the feedback and all of that fun stuff. And, you know, also just my exhaustion level at the end of the tour, we might add some more cities on. So if you don't see your city listed, please let me know where you live. If I get enough requests for a specific place, we'll absolutely try and make it happen over the summer and the fall or definitely at some point. So please, please let me know. So it is very fitting that today's episode is with my dear friend, Liz Moody. You probably know Liz from her Instagram, Liz Moody, and she is also a two-time best-selling author of healthy cookbooks as well, the first being Glow Pops and the second, Healthier Together. Liz is such an amazing, real, open, and just honest person. I love her because she's like not afraid to tell you how she feels. She's one of those people that if you were in a dressing room and you put something on and it really didn't like flatter you, she would tell you like, Rachel, don't wear that or no, I don't think that's going to work. Like do this instead. She's just a great person to be around. You can trust what she has to say. She's very opinionated and I, I like that. I like that in someone. I don't want someone to be like, oh, that dress looks so good on you and really, you know, the color may, might make me look like washed out. So Liz and I really go through a variety of topics. We talk about how she got to where she is today, which you guys know is really always how I like to start um, and open up each episode, how she landed her first cookbook deal, her ongoing journey with anxiety. I mean, I do believe that when you have anxiety, and again, I'm not speaking from someone that has struggled with this their whole lives, such as some of my friends, but this is an ongoing journey. And she is very raw and open about this. This was a very emotional episode and I'm so thankful that Liz was able to share this with you guys. I think it's going to really, you know, resonate with a lot of you and hopefully you'll be able to connect with Liz and everyone can learn from each other and help each other. She also lets us know how she handles being like the thick of every wellness trend. So Liz is a journalist. Like she is an uber successful journalist. She knows her shit. She knows what she's talking about and she gets perspectives of like every single trend and things going on. And for me, that would be super overwhelming to be to know about like this diet and this fat and this celery juice concoction and then like, oh, like intermittent fasting and this and that. And Liz is in the thick of it. Um, and she does a really good job living a quote balanced life. I don't really like that term, but you guys know what I'm saying when when I say that. Um she she doesn't let it overwhelm her. She doesn't like let it like sink into her head and like impact every decision she makes. 
We also dive into our thoughts on Instagram and oversharing, having careers in social media. Um, We also talk about starting a family. This interview will really make you feel like you're a fly on the wall, like sitting out to lunch with Liz and I. Um, So if you want more from Liz, head on over to Instagram at Liz Moody and her podcast. She has an amazing podcast. It is truly one of my favorites to listen to. It is called Healthier Together and definitely stock up on her cookbooks, Healthier Together and Glow Pops. So before we dive into this episode, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor for today, Garden of Life, which is also a super fitting sponsor being that Liz and I both partner with Garden of Life and are both huge, huge fans of their products. And I'm actually going to be talking about Liz's favorite product that she always talks about from Garden of Life over on her Instagram stories, especially. And I only started using this because of her because she raves about it. And now I am absolutely obsessed. So I want to talk about the oil of oregano. So we all know it is like flu season. Everyone has a little stuffy nose, sore throat, a little tickle. You know, everyone is like, there's germs everywhere. Jordan comes home from work. I'm like, wash your hands. Like, don't touch Ezra. Like, don't touch him with your shirt. I'm literally crazy. Oil of oregano. This is one of those things you want to stock up on and keep in your medicine cabinet. It has been used for centuries in traditional medicine. It is something that you can easily just grab when you're starting to feel a little sick, put it in some water, mix it up, chug, because I personally think don't think it tastes very good. Liz seems to really like the taste of it, but you know, to each their own. And you just chug it. It'll kill all of that, the bacteria. And the one from Garden of Life is USDA organic, non-GMO certified, completely alcohol-free. I actually gave it to my mom when she was starting to feel sick. And then a few weeks later, Jordan started to feel sick. And I was freaking out because I didn't have it more on him. Like, you need to chug the oregano oil. Like, you need to have this. And I was actually just talking about it with a woman in my bar class earlier today um, because she said she wasn't feeling well. And she went to the store to go get Garden of Life oregano oil. Like, what a small world. I'm going to be talking about this again in a little bit. And the two other things that I always like to stock up on for like flu season and when I'm feeling sick, et cetera, are the My Kind Organics Elderberry Gummies from Garden of Life. These taste like actual candy. I'm absolutely obsessed with them. And again, they're certified organic, non-GMO product verified, and they're made with real fruit. They have like no gelatin, no refined sugars. They're made with black elderberry and they just taste so good. And they have zinc and vitamin C for an added system boost. And the last being my probiotics. So the doctor formulated probiotics, once daily woman's, holy-ish, that is a tongue twister. I just know it's like the white bottle with like the pink label. It's my absolute favorite. It doesn't have to be refrigerated. It's perfect to like throw in your bag. You can travel with it. I take one capsule a day. They have 50 billion CFU They have 16 raw probiotic strands. I take one every single night, about an hour after I'm done eating. I swear by it. I also have learned, thanks to Garden of Life, that when you take the oregano oil, since it does like kill the bacteria in your gut, you should really try and take a probiotic with it. So try and like pair those two together. And I linked to all of these goodies over on my shop page on my blog, and I will link to it in the show notes. All right, now let's dive into today's episode. Liz Moody, you are in the hot seat today, my friend. I'm excited. I actually love being interviewed. I always tell people to like try to you do try to mess with me. You know, because well, I'm not gonna lie. First of all, this is the third time we're sitting down together technically because yeah. you interviewed me 
twice twice for your podcast. We don't need to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Well, the first episode, I remember the first interview, I should say, when you left, I remember calling Jordan saying that was the hardest effing interview. You said it to me before I left too. You were just like, that was way harder than I thought it would be. (laughs) You're a tough interviewer. You are. And then so the second time you came, I like expected. I was like ready for it. (laughs) I had like my shield up. I was like, she's going to rail me again. And I felt it was still very hard. But I also feel like we knew each other better by then. So like you, you're used. I got your to personality a little bit more. like because the thing is, I I became a journalist in the first place because I'm an inappropriate question asker and because I'm like an incredibly <laughs> curious person. So my friends know that that's my personality, whether I'm yeah. like recording something or not. No, it's true. And I actually every time I have a guest coming on the podcast, I do a deep dive into them and oh, I like God. really stalk them. No, no, no. You're really hard to stalk because every time I looked something up about you, it wasn't really about you. It was about you talking to somebody else. And then I'd get tidbits of your stories here and there. Or like articles that I've written. Yeah, my whole Google is like probably overcome by just articles that I've written. Same with podcasting though because I always like to listen, excuse me, to like a couple of podcast episodes if if applicable so I don't ask the same questions. Yeah. I don't want like it, like your readers and like your dedicated groupies to listen to an episode and be like, oh great, they're talking about this yeah, again. Like same. I want to dive into different topics. And I found two podcasts that you were on and I listened to one of them Which in full. Ones? One uh party in my plants. Okay. A lot of plants actually. And yeah. then I listened to one part plant, which I definitely listened to about a year ago because I like I was I kept getting like, oh my God, I definitely heard this before. <laughs> so I probably listened to it. Yeah. And I listened to Jessica's podcast before. I love her. She's like the OG. I feel like she's like the first wellness. I mean, maybe she's not, but she to me, she's the first sort of podcast in the same vein as like what we're doing. And then, Really? Because okay. she did it like, I want to say like seven or eight years ago. I don't know her well. Her and I share a literary agent. Oh, cool. So that's what drew me into her podcast. And then I saw your name and I knew you, so when I listened to it. But you're hard to stalk, my friend. And I think it's because anyone who doesn't know Liz, Liz Moody, the Liz Moody is sitting next to me. And she is an amazing food – you call yourself a writer? Food writer? Yeah. And I'm I'm more – so I was the food director at Mind Body Green, but now mm-hmm. I'm sort of broader than that. I don't just write about food anymore, which is – You write nice. about all different things. Okay. Yes. Well, we're going to get to that. But you're also a cookbook author. I – two times – oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Great. You're very humble. <laughs> What a modest friend I have here. Um, but I also – I don't love the term blogger and Instagrammer because I think it's just like what the heck does that even mean? But you have an amazing blog. You have an Instagram account that's grown exponentially over the last few months. And I'm excited to have you here today because there is a lot of stuff I want to bring up with you. And I actually asked a few of my friends that follow you and know you like what they want to know, oh. which I always like to do too. And I didn't pull Instagram about you because I have so many topics in my head that I didn't want to get overwhelmed by others. All so right. all hopefully right. all these topics resonate with everyone as much, okay. I'm as, much as I do. I want to start from like the beginning and I don't mean the day that you were born the beginning, but when I first met you, you were working at Mind Body Green, and that job, in my from like my perspective, I was like, "Wow, how did she get a job like that? Like, where? How did she end up there?" And I've heard piecemeal, like here and there. Like, you lived in Europe at one time. You wanted to be a novelist. Like, you grew up in Northern California, but 
How did this come to fruition and how did you go from Northern California? Why did you leave Northern California? And how did you <laughs> get to they New robbed York? you. I couldn't. <laughs> San Francisco treated you so poorly. I was oh like, I'm over this. <laughs> if I wasn't well fed from San Francisco, I would never want to go back. Like truly never. Jordan won't go. Oh, He's like, so I'll get sad. bread somewhere I'm, else. I'll have you guys come out sometime when Zach and I are out there and I'll show you a different side of the city. It'll I would be, love that. It'll be good. Okay. So it all started. Um, when my writing – so I wanted to be a writer my entire life. When I was five years old, I was, like, self-publishing books. My kindergarten had a place where they would – it looked like wrapping paper books kind of, but you, you could, You remember like, kindergarten. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, and I – because <laughs> I wrote it down, I have these books that I actually can find where I, I wrote, like, my autobiography when I was six years old, um, which is – too young to write an autobiography, I'd say. But I, I sort of massaged it. So I did – I was a big Sweet Valley reader at the time. And so I made myself a twin. And like she was – she looked just like me, but she was very different than me. Um, so I did that. And then when I was uh, 16, I um, pitched a newspaper column to my local newspaper called the Modesto Bee. I was living in Modesto at the time. And, and where is Modesto? It is a small town in uh, California. So it's in the Central Valley. It's oh, a wow. very agricultural town. Um, there's it's, – it's an interesting place to grow up. It was – very conservative until the recent election where we elected our first Democratic congressman. Um, but very agricultural, a lot of meth problems. It's just it's, – it's an interesting place. Really bad air quality. Like 50 percent of the population has asthma. Oh, my which gosh. Which is not great. Yeah. It was the, it's the kind of place a lot of people um, – like I left the day that I was 18. And I have friends that still live there and stuff. But it was like – it's a place people often aspire to – leave. <laughs> so you didn't meet Zach there, your husband? No, no, no. He grew up in Berkeley. He's much cooler than me. Um, so we were two hours away. So it was, uh, it was, so I went into my local newspaper office and I was like, I feel like you guys aren't speaking to teenagers in your paper. And I feel like you should have a column for teenagers and it should be written by me. Um, and they were like, okay. Uh, so I started writing this column called out of my mind and two years later, and it, it just slowly sort of got more successful. So it started out on the Thursday paper in this sort of teen section which I also wrote random one-off articles for. I interviewed Hootie and the Blowfish. They were like coming. I love Hootie and the Blowfish. I was like, oh my. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they were coming to town and I was like, I think I only knew how to be a journalist from like movies I'd seen. And I was like, I'm going to snag the big interview. So I literally You're like called Hootie's manager or something. How did you even find I did, I don't even know. I think I called the state theater where they were performing. And then I was like, I'm from the Modesto B. Can I please have the contact info of? And then they gave me that. Because this is like the internet existed, but not in the way that we use it yeah. now. Um, and so I interviewed. And they were like, yeah, sure. And then I interviewed Hootie and the Blowfish. So I was like backstage with the band. And That's I did an unreal. interview with them. Um but I wrote this column for two years and it slowly sort of became more popular and it ended up going to the Sunday paper. And then when I was traveling in, my dad and I were debating this the other day, so either Italy or Morocco. Um, I got an email from the editor at McClatchy and they wanted to syndicate my column nationally. And I was like, this is amazing. And they were like, yeah, but we need you to fax back this form. Facts. Uh, yeah, facts. And so I was like running around this small town trying to find a fax machine uh, but yeah, so then after that, my column started running nationally, and it did for the next four years or so. And, and you were then, getting paid then for doing this, correct? Yeah, but like not an exciting amount. No, but of still, you're started as 16 years old. That's like for a very sure. like entrepreneurial journalist type thing to do. It was very cool to get 
checks, especially because this mm-hmm. was at a time in my life where $20 like allowance was a lot of money. Yeah, and I don't come from um a lot of money. And so I think it was very cool to be making my own money so I could like go to Jamba Juice um, mm-hmm. oh by my myself. Jamba Juice. <laughs> <laughs> I worked at Jamba Juice for two days. Really? I worked at a place called Salad Works, which is like, you know, similar. Oh, yeah, like, I know Salad yeah. Works. Yeah. I actually just wrote a piece that included Salad Works because I was looking for grain bowls. Oh, um, that's so funny. Yeah. So I, uh, I stopped writing my column shortly before graduating from college it had just i'd written about myself on a weekly basis for so long at that point uh that i just wanted a break from that and i wanted to go and write novels so um i graduated into the recession i ended up getting a job it took about eight months where did you go to college berkeley you went to berkeley yeah Um, uh, which was wonderful. I got to like make my own major because it's Berkeley. And that's where I met my husband uh, at a bar. And how, like what grade in college? I was in my second to last year and he was in his last year. So I went to college in a weird way because I was writing my column. I would sort of go to schools for a semester and then I would go travel for a semester as a way to sort of get in more stories. So it took me a really long time to graduate. Oh, Um, interesting. Yeah. So, and it was great because Instead of just going to college, I was like hitchhiking through Europe or like, um, you know, going through Morocco or getting lost and robbed in Brazil and oh stuff like that, you know. So it's, she like really lived in college. Yeah. And I did. I mean, it was, I did. I have maybe too much, you know, like I was sort of a party girl and uh, did way too many drugs for sure. Uh, but uh, it was, it was definitely like a, I had I had a lot of I've always been a person who's very I I'm acutely aware that we're all going to die and I'm I want to have as many experiences in my life as possible. I I spend a lot of time trying to think about what the meaning of life is and my purpose on this planet and I haven't figured it out yet, but having as many experiences as possible seems to be like a step in the right direction. Like fuels you to find that. Yeah, so it's it's good and it's bad because I think I've lived a lot of life, but I also think that I'm very hard on myself on days where I'm not out having adventures, which obviously is most of life. Well, I was just going to say, does it almost kind of like – it's like a twofold. Like you're ex- having these high expectations for finding the meaning of life, but maybe the meaning of life is really just what you've been doing the whole time, experiencing these things and just living and being. You're breathing. You're eating. You're sleeping. Yeah. I had you a friend living. say something like that to me when she was like, "Your your purpose is just like – to be you and it's a nice sentiment and I really wish I could believe it. And I think that's one of, I spend a lot of time, I'd say one of my sort of fatal flaws and things I struggle with a lot is I spend a lot of time trying to prove my value um, like to, to this planet, to my friends, in my relationships, to my family, like even to the world at large, I'm, I'm a hyper ambitious, like overachiever. And I think a lot of that comes from me not feeling like I have a inherent sense of value, but I need to be proving my value constantly. But what about your va- proving your value to yourself? Like that's what's most important. Yeah. Well, and I think that I'm like, that's a lost cause. It's <laughs> not a lost cause. Yeah, no, I know. I, I, it's something like that's probably the number one thing I'm working on as a human. Are you someone who has trouble like living in the moment and like being present in the moment? Yeah, I yeah, I think so. I mean, as you know, I struggle with anxiety a lot and anxiety is very much um about projecting in the future. Like if you're if you're being anxious at any moment, it is almost 100% not in the present by definition because you're imagining a future scenario that may or may not happen and is in fact likely not to happen. 
Um, so I think my anxiety often keeps me sort of spinning future stories. I remember it was like you and then Lisa from Garden of Life, and she has very bad anxiety as well. And I remember asking her, like, Lisa, what does anxiety feel like? And I never really thought that I experienced any form of anxiety. I really don't think that I do to the gravity or to the extent that some do, and I can't, can't even imagine. But anytime I feel like my heart getting like really racy or I'm like thinking about all that I have to do, I'm like, is that anxiety? I just blame like my high cortisol levels for doing that. But, but like, cortisol it's all is really related to anxiety. Like if there was one hormone that I was going to tie to anxiety strongly, I would say it's cortisol. That, yeah. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. Okay. So sorry. Get back to your story. So you're at Berkeley and you graduate from Berkeley that you want to write novels Right. So I ended up getting agented for my first book. So when you write a book, the process is you get an agent and then, and that's like very hard unto itself. Like agents get thousands of submissions every week. And then their job is to sort through all of those and get down to maybe like they'll take on maybe seven or eight new clients a year. So that's already a huge thing. Yeah. it's And that's for all agents. Yeah. I mean, you know so much about the publishing industry. I know less less than nothing. Like, I got an agent. I got a book. <laughs> I'm, I, I said this in another interview that I am the most naive person when it comes to the publishing industry. I almost feel like I'm a hypocrite that I'm coming out with a book at some time, at some points. Because I'm just like, how did but this I don't even think happen? You need to know about it. You know what I mean? Like I've your your career. I I consider my core career to be a writer and a storyteller, and I don't think you consider that your core career. No. I think this is one facet of your career. Yeah. Um, so I got an agent, which was great, and I was like, this is it. My whole life's going to change. And then the agent <laughs> wasn't able to sell my book, uh, which it happens about one in eight times. So the big hump to get wow. through is to get to the agent, but then sometimes the agent won't be able to sell the book. Um, and so that happened to me, and I was crushed. Like I was devastated. I thought – my whole life had been like leading up to this moment. I was going to be this like young. And how old are you at the time? 22. Okay. And I really wanted to be, you know, one of those people who does all the cool stuff when they're young, you know, and people, I think because I, again, I didn't have that confidence in my writing ability on its own. I was always like the young upstart. So you could be a little bit bad if you were youthful. Um, cause it's like, oh, she's great for a 22 year old. I wanted that to be my narrative because I wasn't confident I could just be great on its own. Um, so that didn't happen. So I ended up getting a job where I ran an editorial team for a news startup called Q's that ended up failing. So we, I worked for them for two years. They ended up failing. Um, and I was like, this is it. I'm going to move to New York city. And so I moved to New York city, uh, I gave myself one week to get a job. I just sort of like got you on moved a by plane. yourself. Did you move with Zach? Zach was going to come out later. Uh, but basically, I was applying to jobs in New York City, and I got one interview. And I, if you're applying to jobs in New York, you have to kind of say you live there. Otherwise, they won't even look at your application. Oh, wow. So I had lied and used my friend's address. And they're like, great, come in tomorrow morning. And I was like, you got it. So I booked a flight that day and I was like, I'm just going to go to this interview and then I hopefully will get it. And then I literally, I land in here. I do the overnight flight. I land in JFK. I turn on my phone and there's an email from this company being like, oh, we decided to hire the position internally, which would not be devastating if you had not flown across the country to get that email. So I called Zach Dead. and I was like, and also I'm very afraid of flying. So every time I, know, I get on like the my plane. My head is spitting right now. Like, <laughs> I'm getting anxiety for you. Every time I get on the plane, I'm like, I'm risking death. So I was like, mm-hmm. I risked death to come to this interview. So I was like, I'll stay for one week and see 
what happens. And by the end of the week, I had three job offers. So Oh my gosh. So well worth the schlep. The well, well worth the schlep. So that was like the the risk, the bet. And I was going to live out for six months, get settled, get an apartment. And Zach was going to sort of wrap up our life in San Francisco. Did you have like a savings that you could travel and like do this and like risk not working for that long? Yeah. I, they were low because I'm not great with money. <laughs> um, and also I was never making that much money uh, as in my writing job. So I'd say I probably had like thousand or two thousand dollars in the bank. It was like not, you know, I had enough. I booked my ticket, and then I um, and then I needed. I stayed on my friend's couch for like three weeks in her teeny tiny New York apartment. And by the end of it, her and her boyfriend were like, "Okay, like get the hell out of here, <laughs> it's time to leave." <laughs> um, and then I went and lived downtown in this terrible it was it was a one bedroom and the guy who owned it had divided it into three bedrooms and it was me and two guys and uh one was like he was like kind of an affable comedian guy the other guy are, how PG-13 or like what's the rating of this I podcast? I just changed my podcast podcast to explicit or okay, whatever. Right. So you're, you're fair game, my friend. So the other guy would sit in his room with the door open and masturbate <gasps> all day. All day. What? He was this – yeah, he was like – I don't know what he did for a living, but that was like my first year and is the only place I could afford. And so I just, I had a back, like I had the back one of the split bedroom. So I had no light. I lived in this box. I had a mattress on the floor. And then one fake wall over from me was this guy who just masturbated all day. That is wild. Like what did Zach say about you living? He was not pleased, but like he also knew, I was like one of those kids. I actually pretended when I was in high school that I was from New York City. Like I knew I wanted to live in New York City I forever. Can't, I can't make you it up. was always my my biggest fear in high school. Because so when I was thirteen, I moved from my mom's house in Arizona to my dad's house in California. And I said instead of moving from Arizona, I was like, "Oh, I moved from Manhattan." And I'd been here like four times to visit my grandma. So I was be like, "Oh, you know, like when you're walking by Central Park, like I would like toss in." The three things Your I Your grandma knew. lived in New York? Yeah, my grandma lived in New York. And she lived in this like cute – she was like a fabulous older New York lady. She like wore turbans around and, oh my gosh. you know. Your dad's mom? Mom's mom. Uh, my mom grew up here. My mom went to the same high school as Woody Allen. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, but it was my biggest fear in high school that – that like when my E! True Hollywood story came out, all of my friends would be like, you're not from New York. Like oh my literally that was my biggest fear. <laughs> You'd be like, my grandma's from New York. My mom's from New York. I'm technically from New York. Yeah, sure. Like in a – the egg that I became me once yeah. lived in New York way for sure. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. So um, I moved out here. I was the uh, – I had a really cool title at my job here, but it was like the director of storytelling or something, but it was in a marketing company. Okay. So I just kind of handled their the story of the brands that we worked with and I crafted stories for campaigns and stuff like that um and then my husband my now husband moved to or got into grad school in London and so he was gonna go out to London and I was gonna go with him and it was this whole thing and uh I started freelancing while I was in London and then I freelanced when we came back and that's when I started writing for more sort of publications like Glamour and Women's Health. And, and how did stuff you get like involved that. with them? Like, did you just, just like pitch them? Yeah. Um, Very proactive of you. Yeah, I, I would is. say that. Like, I so I if if there's one thing I wanted people to take away from my sort of work path story, it's I had no ins. I didn't know anybody. Um, 
And I think you can often feel like there's like sort of a group of people who know each other. And if you're not part of that, then you will never find success in that arena. And I didn't know anybody. I didn't, I just came in from the outside and just sort of asked and asked and asked and asked and asked until I got through these doors. And I think that's possible for anybody. Like be willing to have people say no to you like 5,000 times, um, which happened with my books. You know, I, I wrote five novels before I wrote my first book that got published. Um, and it happened with articles I pitched to. I probably pitched Women's Health like 15 times before they were like, it wasn't okay, just we one like email. One. And yeah, then exactly. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would be scrolling through the site and reading the magazine and being like, what are they writing about? What types of headlines are they using? Just really trying to put myself in the shoes of the editor and what they want, which now that I've worked as an editor, I very much appreciate when anybody pitches me. But so that's when I started writing for them, um, freelancing a ton. I also went through my whole anxiety crisis, which I don't know if you... We're going to get to that. Okay. I promise. It's <laughs> on my lawn. My lawn. Um, and uh, then when I wrote my... I wrote a piece about healthy popsicles for women's health, and I was like, this should be a book. And so that's how your book transpired? Yeah. Now, so were I, you at Mindbody Green, though, at this time? No, no. I just was oh. freelancing. Yeah. So I was... I And so I was like, this should be a book. And I always tell people, if they want to write a cookbook, particularly, you should either have a really great idea... Or you should have a platform. And I had a really good idea. So it was just a very niche idea that people could search. And so publishing houses loved it. So I literally Googled how to write a cookbook proposal. I found one online and I copied the format of it. I took pictures like I was living, we were living at Zach's parents' house at the time. Uh, so I took pictures like out on their backyard uh, patio. So you were back in California. That is back in California. This is after he went to grad school. He was yeah. working on his startup and I was like trying to sort of figure out my life. Um, and we sent it off to I got an agent within like two or three days. And then I was like, OK, because I'd literally for the five books I wrote, I got a different agent for each one. I'm the only person I know who like got agented five times and then didn't have the book get published every single time. That it's is like getting insanity. so close and then like not crossing the finish line. It was devastating. Um, but so I got an agent and I didn't get too excited because I was like, I've, I've been here Just before. Uh, but then we had seven publishing houses bid- bidding on it within a week. So I bought one cute outfit because I didn't have a lot of money back then. Do you and still have your outfit? I think I It's from Aritzia. Um, Wow, you really went cute. Yeah, it was You invested cute. in that outfit. It was, it was $250 for the whole thing. But sure, like, I'm surprised just the shirt wasn't $250. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like a little shirt and then a pants thing. And then I wore it to all of my meetings. So I literally, my agent saw me every day in the I same outfit. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't afford anything else. Um, but then they, they bid on it and it went to auction and sold it, uh, which was amazing. So then I got to work on that book. And then about... Like maybe three months after that, we wanted to move back to New York. We just felt like. And who was your publisher? Uh, my publisher is Clarkson Potter, which is at Random House, which is no easy feat. Like you basically, you just act like you got a publisher, and that's like the publisher. And I'm why like, why do you like that publisher so much? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm serious though, and when because when I went into all of these meetings like to try and like pitch my proposal, I just basically said it the same way that you did, and I didn't understand the gravity of like who that publisher yeah. is and working with them. And now like seeing my friends trying to get book deals and like struggling to even get an agent, it really put things into perspective. And 
you know, they publish some really amazing books. They're, so they're like the sort of prestige publisher. And I, I knew that at the time they actually offered me less money than some of the other publishing houses did. Uh, but I was like, I'm not in this for the money. I want to make sort of a name for myself in this world, which is why I picked them. And it is nice to be like, oh, yeah, I'm like at Chrissy Teigen's publishing house. I'm yeah. Rachel Mansfield publishing house. Yeah, okay. <laughs> They're going to be like, oh, she bubbles. Like, well, she can't even talk. <laughs> um, so we then I applied. I saw the job at Mind Body Green on Mind Body Green because I was a big reader of the site and I loved it. Oh, and I applied for so it. So that's how they came about. And they uh, they called me in like the next day and hired me like within five days. Um, and, and how many like people were working at the time? Because I feel like that was when My Muddy Green was not the size, obviously, that it is today. I think there was maybe 25 people there. Okay. And when I left, there was maybe 50. So I would say I was there for three years. And I would say we probably doubled in size in that time. But they That's had just crazy. moved when I when I started. They just moved from like this little office down the street in Dumbo to like their big grown-up pretty yeah. office that I started in. And everybody's was like, there. do you love our office? And yeah, it's beautiful. Aww. It's a really lovely space. Now, when you were there, you were the food director. Director. Wow, that's a very fancy. Um... It didn't start as that. So I started oh. um, as a senior editor. So if you in editorial, you go from like you there's like assistant and associate and then normal and then there's uh, senior and then there's director and director sort of the top level before you get to things that aren't specific to section. So you become then you could become like the executive editor, which is oversees all of the the different editors on the site. But did you always have like an interest or an obsession or however you want to call it with food? Because you haven't really spoken about food, but then you just said that you were the senior editor like for food and then the food director. So how did your love and popsicles randomly came into the mix, but you wanted to be a novelist? Like where did the food passion come from? Like when did that come? Yeah, I would say, so I've always been obsessed with food. Like I've loved, I've always been the kind of person who wakes up in the morning themed our breakfast and like yeah. I make, Zach, Zach gets annoyed when we eat do I he like calls them missions like I'll get like fixated on a certain kind of food and then I'll make us like cross town to get it or uh if we're traveling everything tends to be very food centric always it's a point of traveling these days <laughs> I kind of feel like it I don't know like I, yeah I love it and if, if if I tell people like a, what to do in New York City I end up telling them like five what restaurants to, to walk between um but so I've always loved food and then it was when we were living in London, um, and I had always had anxiety before, but it was never debilitating. I just, you know, have occasional panic attacks, and my dad said I was very, like, Woody Allen-like, uh, which he meant in a neurotic way, not in, like, a Mary's, you know, a much younger <laughs> woman yeah, and has potential issues, which we shan't get into. Um, but, yeah, I was always sort of, like, a neurotic kid. Like, when I remember when swine flu happened, I was like, sure, I had swine flu and stuff like that. Like, I was always – a little hypochondriac. A little hypochondriac. But when we were living in London, I was working on a book and I was freelancing. And so I was working from home all day, every day. And Zach was off at his school program all day, every day. And I had never been that isolated before. I'd never been that in my head before. And my anxiety just started to get worse and worse and worse until I realized that I would have a panic attack anytime I left the house. Um, and so that's when I became pretty much agoraphobic and I sort of shrunk my life and shrunk my life and shrunk my, I remember this time when Zach, um, was invited to a pub to watch the rugby game and he like asked me to come and he, and I was like, I literally can't go. Like, and I hadn't realized until then how debilitating it was, um, and it ended up with me just sort of laying in bed all day, every day. And during that time, 
because I had nothing else to do. I would just be on my computer all day and Googling stuff. And I started to sort of use my journalism skills. And I would reach out to like the professor of neuropsychology at Stanford and ask him a bunch of questions about anxiety and treating anxiety and things like that. And using that, I literally had nothing else to do. I like I'd like convince myself that I could live the rest of my life in bed and I would be fine. I was like, you have your books, you have your computer, like nothing that interesting and happens. How old were you at this time? It's my mid twenties. Um, and I uh, started to sort of put together. Uh, I was just desperate. Like I, I, there were days. This is the closest thing to being suicidal I have ever been. It's um. It's something I still, even now when my life is like so good, I worry about going back to that place because it was just this feeling of like being so deeply uncomfortable every single moment of every single day. And I felt like if this is what life is, like I don't want to live like this. You know what I mean? There was no, it just was so uncomfortable. So I started out of desperation to sort of put together my own plan for what I could do to treat my anxiety. Um, so I was stuff like meditation and, uh, and food and food came into it a lot in a lot of the research I did and the people that I sort of email chatted food to with. like ease anxiety a bit. Food, yeah, foods that you can do to sort of change the the chemistry of your brain. Um, and so I started cooking for myself, which I'd never really done before. When I met Zach, I talk about this in the forward of my book, but when I met Zach, uh, I hadn't really like eaten a vegetable. Um, I was like very much. I was just. I love food, but I was not a healthy eater. So I started cooking for myself and. That's when I sort of started developing recipes. I started doing green smoothies back then. And I would be sharing the information that I had with my friends because I've always been – I think that's – you can always tell editors, I think. And I guess that's influencers now too. But like they're the people where if they start going to a dentist, all their friends start going to that dentist. Like I get very excited about information that I find. And so I started telling that to my friends. Um, and – it just became sort of annoying to repeat the same information over and over. And so that's when I started like my Instagram account and my blog. And that's where that came from was just like a place to consolidate the information that I was learning. Wow. I didn't realize that was where your like love and passion for eating like healthier food came from. So, and it's, I mean, I do think food is a huge part of the anxiety puzzle. I don't think it's all of it. I think that, um, Eating healthy can change your life, but I also think that these days we're in an epidemic that goes the other way as well, where people fixate so much on eating healthy that it it detracts from their life too. So I'm really these days about trying to help people find a balance between the happy two medium. Yeah. So when you were starting to like eat healthier and like, did you just teach yourself how to cook everything? Were you like watching YouTube videos? Like, where how? Because people ask me this all, like, how did you learn how to cook? And it's like you just cook. Like I just went into the kitchen. Hope I didn't chop my finger off and, you know, did my thing. So I already, like, I wasn't cooking for myself a ton um, at that time. But I had taken, actually, because of my newspaper column, I'd taken, like, cooking classes just as ways to have, like, experiences. So when Zach had first introduced me to food back when, like, I was 21 or something, when he's like, here's what kale looks like. And I was like, whoa, cool. I was still writing my column at the time. And so I got really into food in a different way then. And I used my column as a way that I would like go take a sommelier course in Paris or like took a cooking class in Italy or I uh, went to Morocco and I like studied traditional Moroccan cooking and healing techniques with like a Berber medicine man. 
<laughs> you're gonna um, write your actual autobiography one day my friend yeah i'll write a, a new memoir not the Truly, one that i like wrote when, when you were six, six. <laughs> but um so i learned a lot of like interesting technique stuff then and then i think from that base i use the same sort of journalistic things where i'm I'm always looking for the best solution to something. So if I'm going to make something, I'm going to look up 40 different ideas of it. I'm going to um, check out those sources to see how valid I think their viewpoints are. Like, just, I think a lot of the same things that go into finding a good story go into creating a good recipe. And so I just sort of channeled that energy in that direction. So it also kind of sounds like when you were trying to ease and like monitor your anxiety a little bit more, it wasn't just that food helps it based off the food that you were eating. It almost sounds like your passion for that grew, which maybe distracted your anxiety because totally. it yeah. gave you like a hobby or like a passion or something that you a were purpose. like. Yeah. I think a, a huge part of my time in London um, was that I didn't feel like I had a purpose. I felt like Zach had a mm-hmm. very strong purpose at that time. He was sort of coming into his own as an entrepreneur. He was in this great grad school program. And I was like a failed writer at the time. That's sort of what I, I felt like I was – I had this view of myself as a novelist who couldn't publish novels. And I was like, well, what do I do next? You and I actually have a very similar situation like when we were both living in a broad capacity of source. Because I don't remember if I spoke to you about this on your podcast, but when I studied abroad in Florence, the fall semester of my junior year, I went totally by myself, which you were were with Zach, but he was like, you know, consumed with other things during the day. And that was with like very like I reached a very low weight in my life like suffered with like just not like I didn't feel good about myself and I like took that out of my body almost and I would just like want to sit in my apartment all day in the heart of Florence and so you're like in the heart of London you should be like experiencing things and I just like didn't want to leave well I think that 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 there's that extra so I traveled so much by myself like I'd been in South America for eight months by myself I'd lived in Berlin at one point um and I thought I would thrive in London because I was I was the the girl in my friend group who was always taking these crazy trips and having these adventures. And I a huge part of my identity was wrapped up in that. Um, and then I think that self-flagellation when you fail, when you feel like you should be thriving, when you're like, oh, I'm in Italy, I should be living my best life. Like the pressure. Not, I think that's really hard. And so I spent a lot of my time in London being like, oh, this huge – positive part of your identity is not in fact true. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely can relate to and that. And I still struggle so with that. Levels. I honestly, I still beat myself up a lot for feeling like I failed at London. Like I mm-hmm. feel like I got this very – I had a girlfriend who recently went and lived in London for three years and she was having like the best time. Like she was like traveling on the weekends and she made all these great friends and it still brought up stuff for me and I talked to her about it because. I feel like that's what I thought would happen to me when I was in London and I failed at it. And I got this really cool opportunity that I'm so cognizant of the fact that it's rare and special and not everybody gets to go do that. And I failed at it, you know? A hundred percent. I feel like whoever was sitting next to would say, I know, but I actually like, I, I know. Like yeah. my parents were generous enough to send me to Florence. Like I didn't have a care in the world, like a worry. I didn't have to pay for anything. Like they were footing the bill for me, which is like something I'm forever grateful for. Like not many people are given an opportunity like that. And instead of focusing on the good that I was provided with like this allowance to, and I traveled the entire time I was there. Like I didn't, I still was able to take advantage, but I could have been like trying all of the food and like doing all the things. But instead I was just so fixated on like this like thought that I had. And I 
completely took the entire situation for granted almost. And then the next semester, all my friends went abroad. And I was supposed to go abroad spring semester to Florence with like my sorority sisters. And I met Jordan. So I switched to fall because that would have been like, we would have been away from each other the entire academic school year. If I did like fall, if I did spring and he did fall, whatever. I love how long you guys have been I think that's almost so 10 years in I March. Know. I know. Thank you. Well, you guys are like, are you're probably at 10 over 10 years now, though, right? 13 this January. Oh my God, that's wild. I do you want to transition to when you were at Mind Body Green and when you were interviewing all of these amazing functional medicine docs? Because it translates into like what? Yes, but I want to say interview- one final thing about that, which I think. Yeah. Is, so I was, I interviewed Marie Forleo, who's like a. Master I listen to that coach. episode. Yeah. I, well, I lo- you listen. I feel like you listen to all my episodes. I do every Wednesday. Which I love. Every other Wednesday. Um, <laughs> and you always text me your thoughts. And I'm just like, I, it make, I <laughs> my can't tell you. thoughts. It makes me so happy, though. I just, because when you, I, as you know, when you're talking and we're like talking to microphones, it, it doesn't feel like real people are going to consume no. it. And then even when you see the numbers, those don't feel real. So when real people, I love when people message me on Instagram or when you message me, it's just like, 100%. oh, real people are listening. But she said, and I thought this was really interesting. I was like asking her what people should do if they're in a a job that they need to have like for money and they're like, oh, I should be go doing my passion, but like I have a kid and I, this is the job I can get and blah, blah, blah. And she said that she thinks that the, the situation that you're in doesn't really matter, but you just need to bring that passion to like whatever you – like the the extraneous factors are not what's important. And I think that that's really true. And that's that's held true with the very famous, rich, successful people that I've interviewed and with the people that I know who are not that. I think the life circumstances matter maybe 10%. And then the other 90% is sort of how you approach those things. So you can bring that sort of energy and joy and life to things that you do and have the most menial of tasks feel important and significant and exciting. Or you can be like, oh, this sucks. Like, why do I have to do this? Life is terrible. I'm lonely. I'm never – like in London, I had this story I was telling myself of like I couldn't make friends and everything was so far away and because in London, everything's very spread out. And I was like, if I make a friend and they live an hour away, I'm never going to see them. And I just – I told myself all of these stories and I think that we can tell ourselves these amazing, great – I could have been like, what a cool opportunity to like go read a book on the tube and meet a person. And I just think that – the circumstances matter so little and we we act like they matter a lot. So your perspective on everything is – your perspective really rules everything. Like, yeah. for example, I was stuck underground on the path last week for 50-something minutes and Ezra, yeah, it was not fine. And there's no – like, there's no cell phone service. So, yeah, I could have just completely freaked out that I, like, missed Ezra's nursing session, couldn't get in touch with them to say that I was, like, I'm always home at 11.15 to feed him. Yeah, like, they think you were dead. Have him at, well, she probably just like, – his nanny just, like, assumed I was, like, on the train stuck somewhere. Oh, my God. And instead of freaking out – I use that time to clean out my photos, like on my iPhone. Like I was like, you know what? I could be sitting here breaking out in a rash that I'm I'd be stuck. having such a panic attack. And I just like use the best of time. I like, yeah. deleted old photos. I like prioritize like a work list. Like, you know, making like a shitty situation somewhat productive or at least somewhat enjoyable like really changed my entire like time on, on the train. I had 55 minutes yeah. to myself to just sit there and do nothing. Meanwhile, like six months ago, I would have killed to have 55 minutes to do nothing. Granted, I'd rather be like in my bed to do that than on like a plastic subway chair. But, you know, I mean, you make do with it. Exactly. <laughs> so when you were at Mind Body Green and you were interviewing all these functional medicine doctors, all of these quote experts in every single field, I have always wanted to know this. How do you absorb all of this information and process it? 
but also not let it get to your head. Like you'll have like doctors say, don't eat lectins. And you have other ones like the ketogenic thing is everything. Like you should be intermittent fasting. You're having too much sugar, gluten's the enemy, dairy is this. And I know from like my perspective, like how I take things like with a grain of salt and I know not one, two bodies are the same, but I wasn't, I'm not like in it. Like I'm not like in the thick of it. I could just tune people out, but it was your job to stay with the quote trends and talk about it. Like how do you, how did you not spiralize from there? How did you not spiralize into zucchini? How um, did you not spiral down from there? I so I do I one, I did to a point. There's a thing that happens with doctors when they're in med school where they tend to start thinking they have a lot of different diseases. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing happens for wellness and health editors where you're exposed to a lot of stuff. And then I think you you do it for long enough that you get over that hump and it all starts to just cancel each other out. It's like having I think having too much information is almost the same as having too little information because the same – if I'm worried about lectins, I have another doctor's voice in my head who's saying like, no, that's not a big deal. You should be yeah. eating a diversity of plants. And I actually think that makes it easier. So then I can just be like, how do I feel when I eat lectins? How do I feel when I have a high-fat diet? And I can focus a lot more on my personal body's reaction to things since I know that everything sort of is contradictory in the medical field. And I can also zero – I think one of the best things about my health perspective is that I it consolidates all of those things. So I think if you're reading one doctor's perspective on something, you can freak out and be like, oh, I shouldn't eat lectins ever. But I'm able to be like, well, I've interviewed 50 doctors, the best doctors in the country, and here are the food rules that kind of stick for everybody. Here are the things everybody agrees on. And I can definitely stick to those for my own self and for the advice that I give other people. It's true, but it's so it's like hard. Not everyone's as like strong mentally to be able to do that because well, not everybody should definitely be a writer. <laughs> no, but I mean saying like now like scrolling social media these yeah. days, like you're like you'll be I'll be looking at my feed and it's like this person is like following this diet and this person like just cut out meat and then well and it's I think that's something that you do really well uh with your account is that you're like this is what I eat I don't put any labels on anything this yeah. is just like the food that I feel good when I consume and I think that I always recommend people pick a few people who make them feel really good to follow and they also pick a few people whose information that they trust and they just get information from those people rather than having their entire Same with sites. I don't think you should be going to like seven different health websites a day. I think you should pick one or two, or I always recommend people go directly to the source. So read doctor websites, like read Dr. Will Cole has a website. Sarah Gottfried has like all the doctors have their own websites and they're far, they're not reliant on ad money because they're making money through treating patients. So they don't need to say, they don't need to sensationalize everything to get clicks in the same way that an editorial website might. That's very true. Because I just, like orthorexia now I even think is that term is like trendy. It's just like – Well, and it kills me on Instagram, like to be candid, when people come out with having something like wrong with them, it their popularity skyrockets because people like have something to cling on to or I don't know why, but it like I just feel like people will come out and they'll be like, oh, like I have orthorexia or I have this chronic disease or something like that. and sometimes I'm wary of it because I know how much it helps people get an audience. And I've heard people talk actively about They're like, oh, when I talk about my chronic disease, I get this many likes versus when I don't. 
I was just talking about this this morning with a friend and I just, I was saying, I feel that if I don't complain about something on Instagram, it like won't engage well. And I'm, I'm the first that I don't open up about every single thing that goes on. Like no one needs to know that. Like, for example, the entire drive down to Miami for Lisa, Lisa and Evan's wedding, Jordan and I were screaming at each other for two hours. I don't need to go on Instagram and like open my baggage right. of like things that are like vulnerable to me. Like there's a well, and there's, there's like also a fine from line that situation. There's another person involved. Exactly. In it. Like I think Zach would not be okay with me talking in real time about like a fight no. we were having. Maybe later when we have a sense of we always joke that like like Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard talk about all the lessons they learn in couples therapy like from ten years ago. And we're exactly. like in ten years we'll talk about all these lessons, but. For now, we're in it. Like, we're working on it. That's why I wouldn't have brought this up like two weeks ago, like the day after it happened. Like, yeah. I didn't tell you. But now it's like we're fine now. So it's, it is what it is. But I just – sometimes I'm scrolling my feed and I feel like it's everyone talking about like a binge eating disorder or, you know, they're having really bad anxiety that day or like they're having body dysmorphia that day. And I just like – why can't you just have a day or like accept that each day is going to come with struggles and just live – just live. So just be I you. struggle with this personally um, because I – when I was in my worst, worst, worst anxiety period, uh, and I literally couldn't get out of bed, there was a few people whose lives I sort of followed who had anxiety. One was Zoella. She's like this British YouTuber. And one was Amanda Seyfried. I've heard you talk about um, Amanda before. Yeah. And I would, I literally have watched every interview Amanda Seyfried has ever given because I had really bad anxiety in the fact that she was doing these interviews like and living her life and being in Mamma Mia, I was like, oh, I too could like yeah. not be in, maybe not be in Mamma Mia, but like not be in bed someday. And so when I talk about my anxiety, I'm acutely aware that sometimes I'm that person for people where they're like, oh, I can like publish books and live this life that appears to be at least out of, like, if not amazing, I'm not in bed all day. And that's amazing unto itself. So I love, love, love. Like I just feel like if I can pass that on to somebody else, it's the most amazing thing. But also when I open up about my anxiety or I talk about it, I I feel like I'm almost using it, which I don't want to. No, because you you're know? not talking about it in every post. Like I'm like they're like it's once in a while. It's not every day. Like you'll talk about something vulnerable, which I will do the same. Like I've yeah. talked about infertility, like everything like it's not post after post. You'll yeah. talk about it once. Like, yeah, sure, you posted the selfie, like your um, picture in the mirror, which we'll get to about like wearing a sports bra and leggings. Yeah, yeah. And it, your post after that was a recipe. It's not yeah. – you're not only talking about negative but things. But I do think it's it's an interesting thing about having your life be the story for public consumption is you have to figure out what that story is that you're trying to tell. And I think right now there's a really big push-pull between the story that people – want to hear and will like double tap for and the story that's valuable to tell. And I think that that's happening in media at large. And I think that's happening on Instagram. And I think we've really leaned hard into what people want to hear, but maybe not that which adds value to the conversation. And we're sort of slowly, like I think Instagram getting rid of likes is course correcting into how can we create content that's valuable if not immediately double tap worthy. Did it happen to your account yet? Can you still no, see likes? I can still see likes. I can. Really? It's been a week and I am here for oh it. that's amazing it's amazing i post so it, i just what don't is care it? it shows you like it shows you like three of your like this friend this friend mm -hmm. liked it and then some others so i could show like, you after it yeah. literally will just be like liz moody jordan carpenter and that's it like it'll it won't it shows like I two or three it. names it's amazing yeah. and it also i'm grateful for anyone who wants to double double tap or heart or like my photo but 
I don't look at who likes them. I look at who comments them and you could still look at the comments and reply. And if Instagram gets rid of that, then like what the hell is the point of this? I don't think Instagram would though, because Instagram wants to, I think the goal of this, and I have friends who work in Instagram is to like form real relationships. And And that's what helps you do it. I don't think double tapping does that. I think the double tapping is going to hurt the people who like post their cute outfits. They get like 5,000 likes and like three comments, you know, but I think the people who are trying to have a real engagement and like create a real community this isn't going to affect negatively at all you'll you'll feel more comfortable starting conversations that maybe are slightly more left of center no i'm excited i'm it's a lot less pressure for like content creators to like not care as much and i mean anyone who tells you that they don't care about the number of likes that their photos getting is completely like bullshitting you like no it's not something i get fixated on but at the end of the day like if we're here as content creators creating recipes and you see that like a recipe you're really excited about doesn't perform well and doesn't get like good engagement, it is a, it is a stab to your ego. Like it kind of sucks. But well, now – And it's also like your livelihood. Like you, you know what I mean? It's like it's like somebody scary. saying you're not doing well at your job and you're like, well, I need to do well my job so I can eat dinner. Mm-hmm. That's exactly why <laughs> – literally eat dinner and then dessert after. Yeah. <laughs> but like this is exactly why I hired an SEO like wizard to help me with like SEO yeah, for my I- site because – you can't like I, and I, you as like the general you like you can't put all of your eggs in one basket. And I've been saying this since the very beginning, but it's you can't like only rely on Instagram for how to make a living. And like I'm guilty of doing that in some capacity, but I also think a lot of people are. But no, you're not. You got your book coming out or on your podcast. Yeah, I mean, but I think you and I both know that I don't really think like a book is going to be like bringing in too much money any but i also think that like there's so many i I think one of the most exciting things about this time in history is there's so many crazy places your career can go that we don't even know so like maybe you write a book and then you decide later that you want to do something more with writing and you're already a published author so then that's a step in that direction you know i just think that we have any any steps that you do, even if they don't feel like they're going to change your career path now, they totally could later and we just don't know yet. Well, I actually – when I recorded a podcast episode with Jordan about like my fired anniversary, which will have aired before before this episode, but I was saying on there that I didn't – I've never set out like a business plan. Like did you ever biz, a, like a business plan of what you want to do? Like each year, do you say – No, but I'm surprised you didn't because I feel like you're right? way more organized than me. That's what I – I'm surprised that I never did either. Yeah. But I also think that that's almost the key to having a business that's so, like somewhat can be considered successful because you don't put that pressure on yourself that like – When you don't know what's going to come next. Like, exactly. You leave that open. Like going into 2020, like are you setting like goals or expectations for yourself for the year? Like that – like things that you like want to accomplish. Like you said intentions for each month though, I believe, right? I do sometimes. Yeah. I play around with it. I like doing it. Um, but I'm not like organized enough to do it consistently. Um, I would say for 2020. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking, cause I had a thought of something I definitely wanted to do in 2020, but now I'm forgetting what it was. Um, <laughs> it'll come to you okay. when it's meant to be. <laughs> if it comes to you in a couple of minutes, you can yeah. still tell us. Um, but no, I don't, I don't really have I think my career has gone in such unexpected places in general. Like, again, I thought I was going to be a novelist and and I've now written two cookbooks and I'm working on my third and I just think – You are? Yeah. I'm in proposal land. Is it going to be a similar concept, you think, to Healthier Together, like the evolution of that or is it going to be for more than two people? No, it's not going to be like Healthier Together dinner time or something like that. I really wanted to do something that wouldn't be – that would be even bigger and more expansive and more exciting than the – healthier so you love writing books i do i mean i i i don't know if you feel this way when you like walk into the lobby at random house but i just like 
the lobby at Random House is lined with all of the books. It's like The Great Gatsby and Grapes of Wrath. And you just feel this. These are the people that I have revered my entire, like the idea that books are the most important thing to me on the planet. Um, If I die and I haven't written like a novel or book of essays, I'll be sad. Um, I just think stories are like, you know, Joan Diddy and we tell ourselves stories in order to live. Like I, I firmly believe that stories are the bedrock of our society, our personality, our sense of empathy. And I think they're so important to, and to even be part of that in a very small way feels like the greatest honor and privilege of my life. No, I walked in there and I felt like I didn't belong. I was just like, why am I here? You're like me and John Steinbeck. Like I didn't understand. <laughs> well, I'm not a big like, – I'm like, who is that? Like I'm just kidding. But I, <laughs> I, I don't even like read books often. Yeah. Like I'm such a – audio podcast like I would listen to like an audio like a book that will like talk to me yeah. but I don't like sit down and like crave reading a book and I never have my whole life like, so interesting me. Last I can't book, imagine that no and like that's just like not something I get excited about yeah. but I also don't get excited about watching a tv show so I like have difficulty getting like Do you lost like story- in fiction yeah you like you like movies I could, yeah, but the movie has to be like really captivating. Same with the TV show for me to like get off my phone and be present yeah. in in that. I'm a big fan of like if you're scrolling your phone while watching TV, you're not watching, you're not like, watching a TV. good show. Yeah, just turn it off. There was um, we're watching the morning show on Apple TV. Oh, I want to watch that. It's good, and I we started when we were in Florida, and then. We Jordan and I started watching the episode one another episode last weekend, and I happened to just like look at one thing on my phone and then didn't couldn't put it down, and I missed the entire episode, and I had to restart the entire thing. And Jordan was like almost annoyed because he had to yeah. sit through the entire thing again. But if I'm on my I phone, like how he was almost annoyed at that, like Zach would be actually very annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like Jordan's not phased by he by doesn't. He seems very mellow and so. What do you do to like relax and? Turn uh, this your is brain not my. You're not supposed to be. No, but I'm curious. I have a really hard time relaxing. I have. I. I struggle with high cortisol. I do. I have a lot of difficulty disconnecting from life and shutting off. And that's like something that I'm still trying to work on. Like when I'm working, I feel like I'm being a bad mom because I'm not with Ezra. When I'm with Ezra, I feel that I'm like sucking or failing at my business because I'm not working. I'm not doing something for work. Like it's. Really but hard I bet for having me. a kid actually as somebody who can't turn their brain off for like or switch into that mode for novels or movies or TV. I bet having a kid is like almost a little bit of a respite that you can change your the way your brain is working momentarily and sort of relax and play and be silly and have fun. In that I would way. say that my how I'm satisfied or like my level of satisfaction or like what makes me happy now yeah. is different than it used to be. Where you know, did Ezra have a good day? Was he well fed? Did he sleep? Is he content? That's my level. That's how I but measure success. But when are you like ecstatic, fun, this is the most exciting thing ever? So I'm so happy you just asked that because this past weekend and we're filming this. I mean, film. we're filming this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I haven't washed my hair in eight days. So I hope we're not filming this. You say that every time I see you. I'm like, when do you wash your hair? It's so gross. <laughs> once, once a week, usually on Thursdays or Fridays. Um, the day after you see me. Always. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> I, I, I look like a train wreck today. It was my brother's birthday, and we went to a bar. First, we went to my parents' wine club. They have, like, a wine club with their friends, like, every couple of months, and they Cute. do whatever. Then we went to the beer garden in Hoboken, and then we're talking about you because I'm not going to, like, talk about myself for a while. And I was completely, so- like, stone-cold sober, like, d- wasn't drinking. I had so much fun at the bar. I was dancing, and, like, no one else was dancing. Like, I was, like, with my brother's friends. You know, they're, like, in their, tw- like, 25, 26, and – 
I felt so alive and so happy. I didn't have my phone. I was just like there. Like I'm happiest when I'm just like out doing something that is distracting me from my to-do list. And it could be like when I'm like lost in the park with Ezra, I'm happy. Like if I'm just not with a phone and just like living in the moment, that's when I feel feel the best. I don't like having my phone all the time, but I don't want to be someone who's complaining about a phone a lot and complaining about Instagram because we're in control of what we, like we have that phone for a reason. That phone has brought, has, you know, that phone pays this mortgage. So I can't complain about it. And I, you know, we're in control over like how we utilize that. And it's my fault. When when people who I literally know are making six figures off Instagram are like, oh, it's so hard. It's so terrible. And I'm just like, well, then don't do it. Like go get a job for $50,000 a year like other people do. A thousand percent. And that's why you'll never see me complain about Instagram. Like, and you don't complain about your phone. No, I feel either. so the the fact that I can create con- I've I've wanted to create content my entire life. And the fact that I can create content and get paid for it, I feel so lucky. And now you're doing it full time. So you were when you were at Mind but how many years were you at Mind Body Green for? Three years. What gave you like the when you said you were leaving and going to do your own thing, I was like, Oh, she's doing it. Like, like, that's a bad I have, like, idea. Chills. <laughs> Look, I literally have chills thinking about it. No, Did I you don't. Think it was a bad idea. I don't know. Were because, you like worried I was gonna flounder? No, be, I really wasn't. I, I admired your courage because that's something that I never would have had to leave. Like I was pushed out of my job, yeah. I was fired. So I wasn't like pushed into this situation. I didn't volunteer to do this. But how like how did you know it was time to leave a full-time I mean, my timing was like sort of picked for me and that my book was coming out in April and I really wanted to do I, – I felt like when Glowpot – so my first book came out while I was at Mind Body Green and I felt like I wasn't able to give it the attention I wanted to give it because I still had a full-time job and I was giving so much of myself to that job. So for Healthier Together, I really felt like this was like my book. I needed it to be hugely – Glow Pops is what they call a single subject book. So again, like I said earlier, I had a great idea and that's what got me published. For Healthier Together, they were buying me more and it was a large book and it had photos of me in it and it had a hundred recipes and and I felt like this was my shot to like be the author that I wanted to be and I didn't want to squander it. So it was a hundred. I left in February to give myself the time to ramp up to the book and then to go on tour starting April 9th when the book came out. And I was also lucky enough that they're wonderful. So I, I I left the full-time role, but I've been writing roughly 20 articles a month for them. Wow. That's a lot of articles. Ever since I left. Yeah. So I'm – now it's called a contributing food editor. Um, so I write for them. I just am not – I'm not – before I was directing all of the food content you see on the site, whether that was branded or video or – anything editorial. And now I'm just a normal sort of writer for this. Were you bringing in enough money from Instagram or other outlets to make up for the salary that you no, were leaving? No, no, no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have left if I didn't know I could write. So I, a lot of people will leave full-time writing jobs and just do freelance and they're not influencers or anything like that. And they'll make – I'd had a few friends do it and like double their salary just from freelancing because a lot of these publications – can't afford to keep people full-time on stuff anymore. And so they'll amp up their freelance content a lot. So if I didn't know I could write, I wouldn't have done it. Also, I feel so lucky in developing my quote-unquote influencer career that I have been still, I would say, 50% of my income comes from writing. 
And that lets me be so selective. I don't feel like I need to take on branded partnerships or anything like that because I don't need that money for my livelihood in the same way. You're working, partnering with a decent amount of brands. So now compared to... Compared to where I was, for sure. Yeah. But I would say of those, I'd say I probably have like six brands that I'm working with now, maybe six, six to eight that I've worked with in the last like eight months. And I'd say of those two reached out to me and like six I reached out to. So I literally like go through my cupboards Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, this food's in here. And then I Google their marketing manager and then I reach out to them and I'm like, I love you. Can we partner in a more significant way? And I've been lucky enough that that is enough for me and I don't need to, you know, say yes to the 400 CBD emails I get every week. I'm so happy that <laughs> – literally, though. Literally. I'm so happy you said that, though, because I think that a lot of the times from an outside perspective, like, people just think that these brands, like, re- like land in our laps. And I feel like for maybe more – does that happen – I feel like you're so much more famous than me, so that happens I'm for you. not famous whatsoever. But, but, like, I don't have that. I – I have bad brands land, land in my lap, and then I have good brands I, like, reach out to and beg them to work with me. There's more brands. <laughs> so. You are not begging. There are more brands that I I don't I don't believe in that I like to say, like, that reach out yeah. to me than, than I do. But I think that's to be expected just because of, like, a higher expectation or higher standards, well, like, I should yeah, say. Yeah, there's more brands in the world that I don't believe in than there are mm-hmm. brands that I do believe in. But the brands that I've been working with the longest, like, for four years now – I've done all of that outreach. Like Garden of Life, I reach out to them. They reached out to me, which I was like so happy about because I've been like I've been a fangirl of theirs for like three Mm -hmm. or four years. And that's why they reached out to me because I've been like organically talking about them when I love – I mean, we're like little anxiety buddies. I know. (laughs) I talk to Lisa on the phone every single day. she loves you more. (laughs) You're like actually best friends. We're like – she's like a sister to me. Yeah, that's amazing. literally comes from like a brand partnership, which is mind-boggling. Yeah, well, I think you're you're so good. We were talking – I mean, this is maybe a little bit too behind the veil, but we were talking a while ago because I was thinking about getting a manager and you were like – Oh, yeah, when we were at Sundays. Yeah, and it, like, it really struck me that you're, like, you're a relationship person. This is an opportunity you can have to be building real relationships with people, and why would you outsource that to another person? And that was a huge part of why I decided to not go with management because I was just, like, why would I take part of the human element out of my job when that's that's all I want from this world? I think, like, the loneliness of life is very real and any element of human connection I can add in is so magical and important. And the idea of getting rid of something like that just feels insane. And when you said it, it, I was like, oh, that is insane. Why would I do that? But the thing is not most content creators, like they don't, they don't enjoy the relationship aspect. It's a little bit more like they might be a a little more socially awkward if they don't know how to manage a business. And I think that there are many people that thrive off of having a management or representation. And I think that no matter which way you slight, like as long as it works for you and your business and you for guys sure. are happy, it's fine. But when you particularly said this to me, I I wouldn't voice that opinion to many people. I, in my head, I was like, she's going to regret that in a second because yeah. you are a relationship person. And I mean, the re- main reason why like I have like established a relationship with you is because you've always like made an effort to like be my friend and like yeah. you were like we're like kind like I remember when you came up to me at like Allie's book launch party at my mom like that was one of the first times I said to myself wow like I think that she like genuinely wants to be my friend I, I did and it's just 
the relationships in this business are are everything. Like the being able to like take Lisa on a boat with my family for the day in Florida and it like just enjoy ourselves. It's just I, I love that. But like, not even why in this sacrifice business, like that? in life. Like I feel like literally so, so if true. I said the one thing I I sort of figured out about the meaning of life was to have more experiences rather than less, I'd say the other thing I figured out is to have more depth of relationships rather than less. Mm-hmm. Like I think relationships are why we are here and you just feel so like I feel so different on a day like this where I get to come and talk to you about real things and important things and think and feel than a day where I'm just sitting at my computer and answering emails or even cooking in the kitchen by myself. I so believe in cooking and food and the excitement of all of that. But my book is called Healthier Together because I think when you can do that with another person, it changes the whole dynamic for for better. No, it's so true. And I, you had texted me a couple of weeks ago asking me if I was liking doing the podcast. And I'm pretty sure my response to you was, yeah, because I'm not in the kitchen by myself. And I'm like, my phone's in the kitchen right now and we're in my bedroom and I haven't looked at it since. And it's just, it's nice to have that non-screen related contact. With, it's one like, of the reasons I think like if anybody asks me if they should do a podcast, even if I don't think it has legs, I will say yes, just because I think that everybody can benefit from having a real emotional engaged conversation. And I think in today's society, we've moved away from that so much. Like I'm appalled how often I go out to dinner with people or bars and like they pull out their phones like while we're sitting there together. It's insulting. And it is insulting. <laughs> I'm like, am I boring you? You don't have to be here. <laughs> right. And and it just it's harder to get to those like meaty real conversations and something about the permission giving of podcasting lets you get to the good conversations quickly, just the good stuff. Oh, haha, I see what you did there. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's so important. And I think the more people, whether they have a mic in front of them or not, can give themselves that permission to get to those really meaty conversations, like the more satisfied and good we feel. Do you, do you see that? Do you watch SNL? Probably not, no, given I, all I, the previous stuff we just talked about. But um, <laughs> Liz comes into my apartment with like a wealth of knowledge. I have no <laughs> idea what the heck she's talking about. She's like telling me. I'm not even going to tell you what she's telling me about. It's probably <laughs> embarrassing that I don't know. But I should start watching that. That's on Apple well, TV. Well, Zach and I will like um, just Hulu clips on Sunday morning. And while we're like drinking tea in the morning, we'll watch them. And there was one where a father and son – it was like a podcast gear for – parental relationship so you could finally have like the conversations with your son that you couldn't have otherwise so you like turn on the mic and then you can be like dad I'm actually really sad today because like a guy at school was mean to me and it's like you do feel a permission giving and I think we should just screw that and give us I I would love if you could just go up to your front of the bar and be like what do you think the meaning of life is but people think I'm weary when I do that I don't think you're weird (laughs) I appreciate it thanks I do there's also that restaurant in Manhattan that where you like put your phone in a box. It's like that meat meat based type restaurant. I forget you like go there. It's on like the east side somewhere in the lower east side, I think, or the East Village. And you go to the restaurant, and they like collect your phone from you. And then you eat meat. Yeah. My dream. <laughs> my absolute dream. How long have you been married to Zach? You've been together for 13 years, married for how long? This isn't a trick question. <laughs> I think um it's either I think it's three years in May. Three years married? Yeah. Because you were together for 10 years before you were married? Yeah. You want to talk to him about that? Should we have him on the podcast? Is that, is that a Zach thing? <laughs> yeah. I, I, it was a huge issue in our relationship for a long time where I would like get drunk and be like, why oh, I fa- don't I found you your, want to marry point. me? <laughs> yeah. And now um, we're in. I found your pressure point. You it, found like five <laughs> minutes in on our interview. <laughs> no, so it's, it's just, I mean, it's my same. I think you found my pressure point early on, which is 
um, I don't believe I have value and I don't believe I'm worthy of love. And that was just like the manifestation of that in my relationship. They're probably like, yeah. So you found it early. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, I've been a little nervous about your interview. No, it's good. Um, um, so yeah, I, I didn't, I, I thought that I was looking for reasons not to believe that he loved me enough. Uh, and that was one of them that he didn't want to propose. But there's also like, if I look back on our life, I'm like, oh, first we were like 25 and then yeah. we were in London and I had agoraphobia and couldn't leave the house. And like, there was this one trip. I remember we went on, we, my, it was like my dad's dream trip. We rented a sailboat in the BVIs and sailed around with like eight friends for a week. And everybody was like, he's going to propose. Like, he's definitely going to propose. Oh, my God. And he didn't. Like, because it was a a trip with my dad and all of our best friends, and we were sailing around the Caribbean for a week. And, like, everyone's like, he definitely is. He definitely is. And I remember being so mad at him afterwards and during because he wasn't proposing. But also, that was during my severe anxiety time. And I was literally – I was taking so much Klonopin just to be able to be present on the vacation um, and even to, like, get on the boat and, and get off the boat and all of that. And if he had proposed then, I would I would really have regretted it later. Like, it was not the right time, yeah. but I just wanted it always to be the right time because I just wanted him to love me enough. It's it, – oh, my gosh. It, like, breaks my heart. But, like, so – it's weird, though, because I wouldn't have expected you to be the, like – I don't want to say type of person, but for lack of a better way to phrase it, someone who needed the satisfaction of, like, marriage or a ring to, like, give you that – feeling. Well, I think the thing is, it's like, it's a moving target. Like, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, but until you love yourself, nothing external matters. But I was just looking for external things. And that was one that society, it was like a low hanging fruit, you know, like, oh, if he loved you, he would be proposing. And I was like, oh, if he loved me, he would be proposing. Thank you, women's magazines. Oh my gosh. You know. Now, so since you've been with Zach for 13 years now, do you guys maybe four, maybe twelve? Like, okay, it's, it's, he probably won't listen to this. Like, don't worry about it. Um, do you plan on making babies? Is that like inappropriate to ask you? No, there are no inappropriate questions. I believe with me. Um, I sometimes people in my life were like, Liz, you should be. I was on a podcast recently. They're like, What is your most embarrassing moment? And I could not think of one. Like, I there was I one time when I was in like sixth grade and I was wearing khaki shorts and I got my period on the bus and I like thought I looked super Aww. hot in these khaki shorts. So I was like parading around and yeah. I had like a big blood stain on the back. But I think that was the last time I got like embarrassed, embarrassed. So first of all, there's no inappropriate questions. Um, second of all, we are deciding. So if anybody okay. wants to tell me what I think I should no, <laughs> that is something I would love that. No, it's just it's I think it's this idea of like what will I regret least when I'm older? Um will I regret missing out on the life experiences of having one money? I'm really worried about the money situation with having kids, especially living in New York City. I don't understand how people do it. I barely feel like Zach and I have enough money just for like our lives. So you don't plan on like leaving New York City anytime well, soon? Well, no, I think we, but like the places we would want to leave for are like LA and they're not cheap, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we're like, we like cities. We like that sort of culture. And and also I think both of our careers are sort of city dependent. We're not, mm-hmm. you know, doctors or lawyers or something like that. So there's that. And then, or will we regret more like not, I, I think the thing that always tips me is when people say it's a type of love they've never felt before. And I'm like, I don't want to miss out on a whole category of love. You know, I think, um, do you know Shay Mitchell? She's like a- Yeah, I love her. She's beautiful. She's 
She's like the I most can. beautiful human on the planet. But I know. Um, she posted recently her like baby reveal thing on Instagram. And it, that was the, it said literally like a type of love I've never experienced before. And I sent it to my friend who'd had a baby. And I was like, is this true? Like, <laughs> is it truly something? Like, do you feel like your love for Ezra is categorically different than your love for Jordan? I think my love, I love how you turn this around for a question for me. It's a different type of just feeling. It's a feeling of content. It's almost like I'm very similar to you where I have a trouble like living in the moment and being present in the moment. I'm like thinking about the future. And I, for once, I just feel like content. I feel like satisfied and in personally, like I have Ezra and I, I could like get teary. Like I have Jordan. I'm content. Like I, I'm not like looking for social plans on weekends for the right. first time. I'm not like, looking for something. I just feel like I have my crew. And the first time we went on family vacation to Northern California, I think even in my Instagram caption, I was like, I kept saying on the whole time we're on trip, we're here. Like we're here with our crew. Like we're here. And like during that time, like I was still going through like postpartum and I don't know I'm whispering. I have a fucking microphone in front of me. But I just felt this different level of of content, of comfort, of like happiness that I hadn't felt before. I wouldn't say it's like a different type of love because I love my family. Like I love my parents. I love Jordan. I love my brother. I would stand in front of a car for for any of them. It, obviously, Ezra like is my force and first and foremost priority. But right. my, my love is is isn't different. It's just a different type of feeling that I feel personally. When I think there's something very appealing about that element too that it takes your. I think. I tend to be very self focused. I think that anxiety is inherently a very narcissistic disorder. It's you're literally living in a world you're creating in your mind rather than a world that you share with other people. Um, And I think the idea of taking that attention and putting it external to myself uh, is very appealing. I'm also very nervous, honestly, about pregnancy and uh, how that would impact my anxiety because I know a lot of people who don't have mental health issues at all and then they do when they get pregnant and or postpartum anxiety. And the fact that I've already struggled so much and continue to with mental health issues, it scares me to to add more crazy hormones into the mix for sure. I mean, I'm by no means an expert or that knowledgeable on this type of topic, but for me personally, like I, I've never been a kid person. I've never looked at babies or children. I'm like, ooh, like so cute. Like I want to babysit. Like I, before Ezra, I've never held a baby. But you always knew you wanted exactly. babies. I knew from the second that I like could know that I wanted like a big family. Like, I want three to four kids. Will I have all three to four? I, I don't know. Like it wasn't I feel like easy. That's even gone down since last time I heard. No, it's always been three to four. Okay, I like I could not. Does carry, Jordan like, want more than that? No, he wants less. He wants three. Okay. Um, but I've always knew I wanted fa- kids. It was never a question or like it's something I would like debate in my mind. And like going through this, I think my mom always says this too. Like unless you're sure that you like want children like it's the most selfless thing like I've ever I've ever done like nothing matters really for myself anymore it's just Ezra and it's like a different sense of of life I yeah. don't know and that's that's super appealing to me so I don't know like that we're very wait and see right now we're just in that time I think because we live in New York and people tend to have babies later here um mm-hmm. so we're just in that time where our friends are sort of starting getting into that mode and we're very like watching to see what's happening with But I also life. believe that since you guys aren't saying we're not, no, we don't want to have kids, it makes me feel like you will just because you haven't decided that you're not. And most people that I know don't that 
either like ha- never had kids and I'm not exactly this like old knowledgeable person, but yeah. that don't have kids, like they always knew they didn't want kids. Well, can I tell you something interesting? So I went off hormonal birth control in December. I've been on hormonal hormonal birth control since I was 15 years old of some sort. I went from the pill to the Mirena. Um, and I have felt one infinitely more horny since going off of it. Yeah. Like I, before it was like, so there's, there's a thing with women and women's libido um, that sex psychologists talk about where often women are sort of waiting to just get randomly turned on. But in fact, many women's libido comes from the act of physical stimulation. So you should just start, you know, making out with your partner and then you'll get turned on rather than waiting to get turned on to make out with your partner. And I was very much in that camp where I'd have to sort of force my, I'd be like, you're going to like this, Liz. So I'd like force myself to get up and like start being sexy with Zach. I like how I'm like, I picture being sexy, like putting on lingerie. And I'm like, I wouldn't know. I, yeah. I don't own a bra. Do people um, really own lingerie though? I have friends who are very into that whole really? game. Yeah. I have one good, my girlfriend who moved to London and successfully did London, mm-hmm. uh, used to work at Victoria's Secret. And she has like, like she's the girl, she went over to her, one of her boyfriend's house years ago and she's wearing like a trench coat. Oh my gosh. Like with what like you see in lacy lingerie underneath. Yeah. She's that girl. So I know her. Uh, she exists, but that you is not her. me. But that always used to be me where I'd have to force myself into it and then I'd have sex and I would like it. I'd enjoy it. It'd be fun. Um, but since I went off birth control, I actually will like feel horny on a physical, I wish there's another, turned on. I'll feel turned on. Horny yeah. is just such a weird word. No, it's okay. I'll feel turned on in like a physical way and I've never experienced that before. And I also will say that the idea of being pregnant and having a baby, it's, I'm not, I'm still very up in the air, but it has felt more appealing. And I do think there's a hormonal thing, which makes me wonder on a societal level, like what are we doing if there's all these people who one, aren't enjoying sex and two, maybe are not biologically as interested in reproducing because they're on the pill. And I think that you can totally be, that's very, that's a very, I think you can totally be uninterested, uninterested in reproducing, not on the pill. And like that exists and that's fine. And that might end up being me, but I just wonder if we're artificially swinging the pendulum in one direction. I don't know. That's a very interesting thought, though. Yeah, I I'm don't not know. really sure. I also, I'm, I, I do think it's fascinating too. The whole there's only been a few very tiny studies, but that you pick the wrong partner when you're on birth control because you're attracted to a certain scent, and when you are pregnant, you're attracted to sort of the opposite scent. You're attracted to people who are more familial because they'll take care of you, and when you're not pregnant. Um, you, you know, you're attracted to like somebody who's really going to turn you on and get you going. And you're also attracted to different people at different times in your ovulation. And I met Zach on birth control because I've been on birth control since I was 15. And I was so nervous when I went off birth control that I wouldn't be attracted oh to him gosh. anymore. Uh, <laughs> there's only an eight person study that they did with like smelling t-shirts. But I do think, I think there should be like a dating app where you smell t-shirts instead of like swipe and like the t-shirt that turns you on, that's the person you go on a date with. That's a really cool concept. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's scalable, but. Zach's <laughs> in the startup space or startup yeah, just, have you get, Imagine you it. just get a box in the mail of dirty white t-shirts and then they're like labeled one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, and you just smell all circle. 10 t-shirts. That should be like a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> Like really, like, it should be like yeah, a reality like TV show. Dating show. That's funny. Dismissed with 30 um. t-shirts. <laughs> well, if you and I ever have to go on a dating app or need an idea, maybe we can look into that. Hopefully not. I know. I'm just, like oh, I'm just being kidding. Oh, I'm just being kidding. Wonderful men. I just, I honestly think at this point, I've been with Jordan for 10 years that I can make 
jokes like that. And like to me, I'm like, she's not phased. It's like I've been yeah. with since I was 19, dude. Like I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Like sorry, when, especially <laughs> – sorry, dude. Especially, I remember you saying on your Instagram that you and Zach have been sharing finances for – since before since, you were like, married. W- since we started sharing finances when we were like two or three years in because it, it was such a point of contention because either I was broke and he was – had some money and I was gonna say well off, but then I was like, he's making like forty thousand a year. But like he had some money or vice versa and it just became so annoying. And so we just were like, eh, screw it. See, Jordan and I still have separate bank accounts. Like we have I a joint that's one. So interesting. It's not like he would have merged our lives together like that years ago. I'm very like I and like I have my so independent girlfriends who who feel that way. And I just like don't I don't know why I don't know it's a weird thing I you know I think that I, my parents have an amazing marriage and I like really hopefully aspire could still be married at, when I'm their age Your as parents well are but so cute thank you um but I remember my mom always saying to me like it's important to like work and have your own money. And like my mom didn't work when I was growing up. And that's not why she's still with my father. Like they they are they are in love. And I'm sure it's because she's heard stories from other people and other women. And right. like they're and that really like stuck with me. And like my dad's mom was like very independent. And like she died like not she was divorced from my grandfather and like she never got remarried. And they got divorced when they were probably in their like early 30s. Mm-hmm. So I think that sense of like female independence has always been like instilled in me, but not like in a feminist way, just like have a sense of like you granted i don't have a prenup like if i even if it's still right. like it would still get split in half anyways part of it is like i i think the reason i don't feel the need for it is because i i feel very confident and i and i know this is true for everybody like i know that everybody trusts their partner but i really do and and i also know it's true that during divorce brings out like a totally different side of people and turns them into their worst selves but i do believe that if Zach and I were to come to our worst situation, like I've seen him do things for people he hates that are so kind. And I just feel like I trust that he would be fair about the division of assets. And I also, I think, have such a faith in myself at this point because my career has been so windy um, that I know I can make money no matter what. Like I have a, I have a very deep faith in my ability to provide for myself, even if Zach and I got divorced and I had nothing. I, I'm like, you could handle your shit. No, it's a good. That's a good like feeling to have. That's that we have no retirement. <laughs> you have no four hundred one k. No, we nothing. Like, no, we've been we've taken such um, unique career paths, both of us. Like Zach is a startup entrepreneur, and we just have been really sort of reinvesting in ourselves and our abilities to do these a traditional careers, which are harder to get off the ground. I could ask you a thousand and one more questions, but I've had you for one hour twenty three minutes. And like twenty five seconds, so <laughs> I to I, be specific. <laughs> I think that's just like wild right now. But there's so many more things that we need to talk about. So we'll definitely plot some other fun things to do together. But I'm gonna ask you my five questions that I ask everyone at the end of each show. The show. I don't know. Like, it's I guess a show. it is a show, right? It's a show. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'm telling you, an hour and a half in, I'm like already brain dead. Okay, my first question. What is one wellnessy trend that you buy into? I would say right now, the idea of like mindfulness or stillness is having a moment. I think that people are trying to, instead of trying to add more stuff in, they're trying to take stuff away and like take a moment where they're not doing anything. They're not, you know, listening to meditation, like literally just doing nothing. And I think that's incredibly important and like has been super, super lost. Also, if you want something that's like, concretely trendy collagen 
God, that was <laughs> – yeah. I'm pretty sure I said that too on one of mine. I, I think collagen is legit. It has some really good research behind it. I think you do need to get a well-trusted brand that's grass-fed and also uh, is third-party tested because there's heavy metals in collagen often. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you get a good brand, I think it's very good for you. What is one wellness you trend that is like a pet peeve of yours that drives you crazy? Um, I have so many. You got to pick one. Uh, charcoal, I think. Is charcoal still a trend? It could be because it's not something that like it's not mainstream. So yeah, it's a trend. Yeah, I would say like putting charcoal and stuff drives me crazy because a lot you'll see like the wellness lemonades and stuff a lot with charcoal in them, but charcoal's literally designed to absorb. I mean, it's not designed, but it's used in therapeutically to absorb toxins from your system. And they're like, oh, that's great. But like it literally means that if you're putting it in your stomach with anything else, it's absorbing all the toxins from it. So if you get or all of the good things and the bad things. So if you get like a green juice and it has charcoal in it. You're not getting any of the vitamins or nutrients from the green juice. The charcoal is literally absorbing them and taking them out of your body. Oh, that's so fascinating. So you're wasting that. your money completely. Yeah. So it's it's like they'll they'll use it in hospitals. If you overdose, they'll pump you with charcoal to bind with that and then pass it through your body. So if you're having it with anything good or worse, if you're having it with medication, it's absorbing the medication. So a lot of people oh, will take horrible. it like close to their birth control and that's very problematic or close to their wow. blood pressure pills. Yeah. I like that one because I've never heard that before. Yeah, problematic. Um, if you weren't a writer and you weren't – because you, you have a very – you have a lot of – you have a few different titles yeah. and labels going on. But what would your career path be? I think I would have to be a storyteller in some way. So I don't know how strict you are with this one. Um, but I, I just think I would have to find a way to tell stories. And I don't really care about the medium. Like I think being a TV writer would be really fun one day or writing oh, plays I like that. or – um, writing songs or I, I don't care what the medium is, but I just think that stories, I like worship the altar of stories and I need to like tell stories. Still technically within your thing, but I'm going to let you slide. Um, I could be an oral storyteller. I guess that's what the podcast <laughs> is sort of now too. So yeah, that's just true. let me tell stories. That's true. You love telling stories. Well, there's a library down the street that um, you can read. You know, that's my first credit score hit I ever took was I checked I used to, so I got special permission from my library to check out 40 books at a time, which they would only let you check out 20 books at a time when you're a kid. And I got special permission, but then I like didn't return them on, on time. And I went to my dad's house or something. And it was my first credit score hit I got was like, oh my God, not returning books to the library. <laughs> I don't <laughs> which I feel like think I've ever taken a book out of the library. Oh my gosh. I'm gonna, I feel like school. my mission in our friendship is going to be to get you to be a reader. I always, I feel yeah. like anybody can be a reader. It's just about figuring out the type of book. And I do think that reading physically is important versus audiobooks because audiobooks, you're still probably doing something else. You're walking or you're cleaning up the kitchen or something like that. And I think the meditative quality of sitting and reading a book, you literally can't do anything else or you'll have to reread that same page over and over and over again. I think it would do me very I think it would be so good good for you. So maybe I'll start recommending like a few of those books that everybody loves. The ones that, like, you just get into immediately. I support that. I would try. I would give it a whirl. I'll try anything once. Okay. Or a few times until I really can't stand it. When you were growing up, what was your go-to fast food order and at what chain? <sighs> um, okay. So I this is hard for me because I ate almost exclusively fast food. So I was I was a very I mean, trashy I eater. This, yeah. what's, what's your favorite fast food chain, though? Um Either In N Out Burger or Jack in the Box. Do you? I don't think Jack in the Box exists on the East Coast. Which I've I, ha- I haven't had it, but I've heard of it. But it does. I, it doesn't exist here, does it? 
No, that's checkers. That was like a revelation for me. I did not know that that was like – and then now in my uh, grown-up life, I've discovered Waffle House and I'm just like, oh my God, Waffle House is amazing. (laughs) It's so – I'm such a trashy eater, (laughs) um, which I think is something we sort of have in common is that we gravitate towards unhealthy food and then our our lives are spent like making it healthier. I know. That's why I gave you that Um, quote the other day. You asked me for a quote yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For a piece. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I love this question. <laughs> well, that's why I thought of you for it because your whole cookbook, I feel like, is going to be that. Um, and yeah, so Jack in the Box is cool because they have – it's a very variety-filled menu. So they'll have like – they had a chicken teriyaki bowl that I love, which I thought I was being healthy eating. That was like my really healthy, it healthy. order. It's not fried. Um, they also have like tacos. They, it's like a really oh, and Taco Bell. Oh my god, I love. Do you guys have Taco Bell in the East Coast? Yes, we have Taco Bell. I love Taco Bell. The just the classic bean and cheese burrito, and they or the Mexican pizza or a chalupa. Oh my god. <laughs> you're the first person. You're like probably the twelfth or thirteenth person I've interviewed, and your eyes are lighting up for these. <laughs> like I love this. This is like my favorite question to ask somebody. I mean, it's designed chemically to make, make your you eyes light up like that that is the sole purpose of it on the planet so it's not di- designed to fuel your body in any way so it should at least be enjoyable to eat that is very true yeah um and my last question it's your it's your last day on earth your final day what are you eating from breakfast through the end of the day oh um First of all, I think it did like if do I have magic powers? Yeah, you can go from day? country to country. Okay. Like you can so go to different I think places. for me it would be about the experience of what I'm eating as much as what I'm eating. So I think I would like fly to France in the morning and I would go up to Montmartre and I would have a crepe, but I would like eat the crepe while sitting on maybe the steps in front of the soccer court, like watching the world wake up in the What's morning. What's in the crepe? Um, just butter sugar. I, I'm so confused when people do other crepes. Seriously? Yeah, what about like, like a cinnamon sugar one? No, no, no. Oh, I love that Because you want one. to be able to taste the batter. Like I think there's nuances to the batter that you lose when you start to add in different fillings. Got and it. then I would wander down the stairs and I'd get um, like a croissant, like a freshly made croissant and a baguette with some butter on it. And I would maybe sit in one of those parks they have in France where um, it's it's like a stone park, like a gravel park. I love those. And I would just kind of watch the world pass by and I would eat that. and then. I would go down to Morocco and we would get some sort of like tagine situation, but it would be eaten maybe in like somebody I didn't know's house. So they'd make it for me and I could talk to them about like their lives and what was going on and it was really different and cool. And then I think we would go to Tel Aviv and all of my family and friends would be there and we would be like at a beach bar type restaurant place and eating all the like hummus with the I would say hummus because it's funny. Um but and, you said it very naturally, well, which is like it, somewhat scary. I say it to be annoying and then it's the kind of thing I also say salmon to be annoying and then I find myself saying it in real life <laughs> when I'm not trying to be annoying and they're like you can't do this. You're a food professional is that's like when I call what Jordan does I tell I say that he works in finance or whatever. Right. And then you say it in front of like his colleagues and you're just like, no. I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Um, I said said Salmon to Dan Barber, who's the owner of Blue Eel, which is like one of the most important restaurants in the world. And he just looked at me like I was a doofus. Like, and I, I mean, I was a doofus. So Um, anyway, so I would do, we would have all those like yummy dips and spreads and um, zatar and, uh, like all of those types of things and there'd be everybody would be like eating on the beach and there'd be like a warm breeze in our hair and 
it would just feel really everybody like laughing across the table and passing things and like being like, you have to try this bite. And it would just be really homey and lovely. Oh my gosh. And that's lunch? No, No, that was dinner. Oh my gosh. Um, And then for dessert, I don't know. I think we would go maybe back home because I would need to see Bella, but it's my last day. And Bella's my cat. And we'd go back home and Zach would make just like a really yummy chocolate chip cookie or maybe Rice Krispie treat for us. Just something that oh my feels God, those really are my like two favorite desserts in the world. So good. Um, so good. And we would eat that and like cuddle Bella and then probably have really hot sex if I'm going to die. That's a beautiful day. I love <laughs> that you not only painted every single morsel of food that you're going to eat in every country, but you also told us your feelings and the breeze in your hair. Well, I think the, the experience – That's I think the most wonderful thing about food – is that it's a vehicle for experience. I think that's why we love food. We don't love food because of the flavor alone. I think the flavor is part of it, but we love food because it's an entryway to an entire world of relationships and places to go and just like things you can have and feel and do and be. And I think that's why food is so magical. And does Zach feel the same way about food? Uh, Probably to less of an extent. Yeah. Like (laughs) Like Jordan's a better cook than – I'll like ever be, but he doesn't get as like excited about it. I think Zach understands the the power of food as an experience. And I think he understands the power of food as a relationship builder. But I think he's more of like a let's spend our time solving the world's problems type of person. And I'm not. Got it. I still have to meet him. Yeah. I feel like we've been trying to do a double date for like 27 years. I know. Seriously. Well, I mean, as you can do you have a baby? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe <laughs> we only had it pause 17 times while he um, ate his apple and, and banana with peanut butter. Um, well, Liz, thank you so much for coming. Thank and you thank for you for coming me. all the way to Hoboken. It means so much to me. Tell everyone where they could find you, your cookbooks, all of the uh, good stuff that you have to offer. Yeah. So I'm four words. I'm Liz Moody Healthier Together, and that can get you everything with me. So my website is lizmoody.com. My Instagram is probably the best place to find me. It's Liz Moody. I have like healthy tips, recipes, lots of just thoughts on life. And then my podcast is the Healthier Together podcast. You should definitely listen to the Rachel Mansfield interview if you're interested in said Rachel Mansfield. Your ears um, are probably bleeding from you at this point. <laughs> okay. um, but I interview essentially extraordinary women about how they're solving their problems and wellness and otherwise to live their best lives. And I get very personal and intimate. Is and it then, primarily women? Uh, other than Besides Dr. Cole, Cole and then Nico Tortorella. I, but I did him with Bethany. And also Nico is now identifies yeah. as non-binary. So interesting. I didn't um, realize that until you said that. Yeah. And uh, then my cookbook is also called Healthier Together. And you can find that in any store you find cookbooks, including Anthropology and now Kohl's. Cole's just picked it up. That's a pretty cool. I was literally just saying, including anthropology. That's a big deal. I just saw it in the anthropology in the financial district the other day. And it's just so cool when you see it. You're going to love. When you see your book in the wild, I just don't think it gets. I mean, I'm curious if it gets old for like Ina Garten. But for me, it has not gotten old. It's just gotten like cooler and cooler. No, it's a very surreal, very, very surreal thought that like it's going to be in stores. Which I think when this podcast airs, it might be in stores. I don't know. We'll see. Let's look at the calendar. So exciting. Thanks for listening, guys. Talk soon.